Hello and welcome to the Anvil podcast from Church's Bookshop. That's Andrew. That's Linda. And that's Georgia. And just a reminder to you, we're not talking on behalf of any particular organisation. We're just three friends having a chat with no particular special knowledge about our subject. And that is particularly relevant this week. This topic has the potential to be controversial, but please be aware that what we're saying is entirely our own opinion. And by no means are we attempting to be political, simply to discuss how faith can relate to politics. But we'll touch on that in a moment. First of all, guys, we're not on Zoom. Whoa, what? Those of you who are not in the Isle of Man may be a bit surprised to hear that. We had some great news in the last few weeks, which is that the Isle of Man has been declared free of COVID-19. And the social distancing and gathering restrictions were lifted just yesterday. Oh, it's so good to see you guys in the flesh. I know. <laughs> it really has been weird being so being apart for so long, but it's really great to to see each other. I mean, I've seen Georgia constantly. <laughs> yeah, you're sick of me. <laughs> I, your words, not mine. Right, let's move to a less contentious topic. Linda, what are we talking about? We are, thanks for that, Andrew. So today we are talking about Christianity and Trump. That's President Trump. Not the game top Trump. Okay, so I'm going to choose to ask the questions this week because I feel woefully inept on this topic and I feel like with you guys and Georgia in particular having some experience of life in America and Andrew just being generally knowledgeable on things, you might have more to say on this. So I'm, I'm going to ask the questions um, and maybe I'll offer an opinion or two. We'll see. So I guess first of all, the thing that baffles me, what is it that makes... Donald Trump attractive to Christians. I know he was said to get the evangelical vote. Why? I think it's uh, it's really interesting and perhaps slightly demoralising fact, isn't it, the, mm. the percentage of, in particular, white evangelical voters in America who back Donald Trump. And for me, that uh, I'm going to come right out and say it, that seems abhorrent to me. Personally, I think that Donald Trump does not represent any Christian values in any way whatsoever. I don't think one can be a Christian and morally vote for him. Andrew doesn't mince words. <laughs> Andrew doesn't mince words. So absolutely, I think it's abhorrent. And these people who are part of the same faith that I, I claim obviously have such a different viewpoint. I have found that hard to sort of understand. I think essentially when you look into the history of America, going right back to the end of slavery and the Civil War... Really, the Republicans have been building almost since since then to to build uh, this idea that to be a Christian you must be a Republican, and it's so tied up there in in identity that a Christian is a Republican, and it's mostly focused around one issue, which is abortion, which is a whole other topic. But I think often for people they feel like they've been taught their whole lives that Democrats are evil and Republicans are good. And I think that potentially is why Trump is getting the support he's getting, is a lack of education. Um, instead, there seems to be more indoctrination. Ooh, that was a big statement. Mm. Yeah, I think mostly I would agree with you. I certainly, on one level at least, also really struggle to understand how you can read the Bible and read the Gospels and say you love Jesus and then endorse and support a man who who does the things that Trump has done I can't really get my head around that on one level I think some of what Andrew said is very true I would agree that republicanism and Christianity have become very aligned in the states and I would also agree that you get a lot of I suppose single issue Christian voters for whom it's it's all about abortion and the other issues kind of don't matter or at least cannot possibly compare in level of importance I suppose 
I think the other thing is that, of course, a big part of the kind of Christian population in America is centred in the Bible Belt, which is a very poverty-stricken area, and so a lot of people who are Christians are also quite desperate and have felt for some time like they've been repeatedly failed by the establishment candidates. And Donald Trump was certainly not an establishment candidate, and I think there was a lot of a lot of people who voted for him really hoping that he was going to finally change things and Im- improve their lives. On a positive note, I read a study recently that said that Trump's support among white evangelical voters in the states has dropped 15 points in the last two months, and among white Catholic voters in the states it dropped, I think, 23 points. So I think that that level of support from the Christian community in the states is beginning to dissipate a bit, which is really encouraging. Yeah, and I, I think we'll discuss a bit later the, the actions recently of Trump with, with a Bible and tear gas, which mm. are two things that really shouldn't go together, in my opinion. But yeah, no, I, I agree with Georgia. I think that the, the history of the United States is such a unique one in how the nation was formed and how, how it runs now that I think Trump is a uniquely American trait. Not that bad leaders or demagogues or quasi-dictators, I'm really not mincing my words. You really aren't. <laughs> Gonna get shot. So I'm in Britain, so we've got good gun laws. I'm more thinking of Donald Trump and nuclear weapons, but anyway. Is he that thin-skinned? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> Way to find out. Yes, he is. But no, I think that there are, you know, those are common to every country, but Trump's kind of blend of breaking just about every rule that the Republican evangelical Christian wing have held up as important. Stuff like when Bill Clinton was president, the fact he was effectively impeached over an affair. I know it was more than that, there was perjury involved, but that Republicans were crying for blood then, and yet when they have credible evidence of a president committing obstruction of justice and arguably treason, they don't do anything. I think I've shocked my companions into silence. We're just going to sit and watch you now. (laughs) (laughs) But while I implode. (laughs) This episode is just going to be like a 30 minute rant from Andrew. (laughs) You're welcome. I'm just facilitating that rant. (laughs) We know what people tune in for. But no, I do agree with you that there has been a double standard. I think even looking at attitudes to first ladies with Michelle Obama, she was criticised by Republicans for wearing a sleeveless dress, or well a dress with short sleeves really, it wasn't totally sleeveless. And Melania, Melania, thank you, doesn't seem to be able to do any wrong. And actually, I don't think either of them necessarily deserved criticism they've got. They're not, they're not the elected leaders. They shouldn't be in the limelight that way. And I'm not going to sit here and slut shame Melania or anything. But I do find it very strange that the same people who literally criticised Miss Alabama for wearing sleeveless dresses have no problem with Melania's kind of history or dress sense or anything. I find that very odd and I can't help but feel that race possibly does play a a role there, unfortunately. Ooh, we're going there. We are. Okay, so uh, I I, I feel like I have more questions now. Going back to something you said earlier, Georgia, (laughs) that it's poverty-stricken Bible Belt that voted for him. Why would you vote for someone with so much money? Like, how is that relatable? It comes down to the American dream, I think. Yeah, that probably does play a part, that you're living in a society that tells you that you work hard enough and anyone can make it, and he's meant to be the prime example of that. And obviously he isn't. He started out with whatever was, however many thousand. Small loan of a million dollars. Yeah, whatever it was. I think that's the quote. But I I think you're right. I think that probably is part of it. I think as well, I think there's just a sense of 
poor Southern Americans, possibly particularly poor Southern white Americans, feeling like they are just mocked and ridiculed as hillbillies and rednecks and kind of overlooked and aren't really being given a voice by anyone in any party. So someone who could who could come in and say, I'm different from all the politicians, and I think we can agree Trump is different from all the previous politicians, had a had an advantage in a lot of those people who voted Trump were also surprised voters for Obama the first time Obama ran, and I think he had the same thing going for him, that he was seen as, as non-establishment. Yeah, I think it's telling that, you know, when some Democratic um, candidates propose things like a tax on estates worth over, I think it was like $10 million, so people whose, whose houses were worth more than $10 million would have to pay more tax. The average American who barely even owns a house was up in arms in, in sort of the Republican areas because the American dream says you can get there. And so they don't, that's why they want to protect the rich. I think it's, mm. I think it's a scam. I'm, I'm not even surprised to hear you say that. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, maybe, everyone. Maybe, maybe this brings me to my next question. You hear a lot of talk from a lot of people and he's very, he's a very controversial public figure. But then I think, as as Christians, we're very responsible for the way we talk about people, regardless of who they are and what status they have. So I guess I'm wondering, when we have emotional reactions to things that we see on the news, and strong political feelings one way or another... What? <laughs> what naming no names. What language is and isn't helpful in discussing Trump as Christians? I feel that it is sometimes unhelpful to focus too much on Trump the man. Now, I'm not I'm not saying we just let him off. He he I don't like him and I think a lot of what he's done is really really heinous and I think we have to be willing to to call that out and to to speak truth about that and to acknowledge that. But I I think that both on a kind of Christian level and actually on a political level can be unhelpful because Trump isn't actually new and his policies aren't new and I mean a lot of the things we think about with Trump particularly are increased racism are very poor treatment of immigrants and all these issues have actually been ongoing for some time Trump has kind of brought them to the fore and he's maybe made it more acceptable for racist views and anti-immigrant views etc to be voiced more loudly and more publicly again but those views have always been there and it's it's a long ongoing problem in the states, and I think if we focus too much on Trump, we can kind of get into this mindset of vote him out, and the problems will go away. And actually, they won't. They're deeply ingrained in American society, and there's a lot more work to do there. And there's particularly a lot of work for the church to do in addressing the part actually that they've had in some of those issues, particularly in racism, and not just kind of blaming it on Trump or blaming it on the wing of the church that supports Trump, but acknowledging that it goes deeper and wider than that and that there's there's bigger issues to be address- addressed than just Donald Trump. Yeah, so I mostly agree with you. <laughs> I think um, that while we definitely have to be careful not to assume that Trump is the problem, I think it also is important that we acknowledge that Trump is a problem and a big one. Uh, a key example here is I think often I have heard somebody who criticised you saying that Trump they criticise you saying Trump is a racist. Um, and by that, they say, well, no, he, you talk about the actions that are racist or the, the views he espouses. But for me, the def- what is a racist if not someone who espouses and acts on racist viewpoints? 
And so for me, it's actually important that we do call out that because um, it can become too easy. And you see a lot of people in the States, you see, who defend Trump, who say who they say, oh, I don't like all these things about him, but I like him. And when you look at what they don't like, it's all of the things he's done. Mm. But they still somehow like him because they're convinced that he's not actually that bad. And I think there's some mental gymnastics involved in that. But I think mm. also speaking unpopular truth and in the uk this probably isn't an unpopular truth actually in america looking at his approval numbers it's not an unpopular <laughs> truth anymore but looking at the bible jesus we talk about, i think it's herod agrippa where people talk about him he says go tell that fox you know he's, he's quite derogatory towards yeah. agrippa and he also um he, one of his parables about the the many that goes to war without counting the cost properly i feel like that is actually based on on a real event and i think that that is the sort of thing we should do while we we shouldn't just be derogatory trump and no way should we try and dehumanize him Hmm. because he is a human being created in the image of god and that is important that he has that dignity of a human being however he is not fit in my opinion to be president of the united states in my opinion he's not fit to be manager at a mcdonald's I think he'd enjoy that job more than okay. president. Okay, I've I've had a rejection from McDonald's before, so apparently I'm not either. I won't disparage McDonald's either. <laughs> um, they do a good breakfast. They do. They do some very, very oh, good breakfasts. No, I want McDonald's. Talk about Trump again. McDonald's Trump closely linked. I think that calling out that his character, which mm-hmm. is something he's developed, is not what we should expect of our leaders for me mm. is a is a key important thing in standing up to what is unjust mm. you know what say what does the lord require of you seek justice love mercy walk humbly with your god and the first part of that seek justice yeah and we shouldn't get caught up in justice over mercy i think that leads to a, a lack of love and love should inform everything but right now the loving thing to do is to hope that trump is no longer in a position where he can do any more harm i think and the best way to do that, in my opinion, is to call him out loudly and clearly and make it clear that the actions he's taking are not acceptable and that the views he's espousing and the character he's showing are not acceptable. Yeah, I guess this is something I'm a little bit conflicted on because, yeah, I agree that like leaders should have integrity. And so in, in that sense, if you're in a position of leadership, your character is, is under scrutiny, I guess. But... I'm also aware that I I don't always think it's helpful to use labels on on people. I think I think calling out behaviors is one thing, but I I think that when we label someone as a hypocrite or a idiot or, you know, whatever it could be, I think that that almost does something to our own character. It shows a lack of humility and and kind of thinking that we're somehow above that I think it comes down to the judge not lest you be judged (laughs) and with the same measure you use it'll be measured to you and I I don't think that means that you can't call out things that are wrong but I think I'd be more inclined to focus on those behaviours that are not okay when it comes to sort of name calling I guess or labelling when it comes to name calling I think that can cross the line I think what we risk sometimes is becoming the kind of people who are more worried about whether we're not being mean to Trump which is important that we shouldn't be name calling we shouldn't be throwing that kind of label around 
but we get them so afraid of that we don't label things that perhaps should be. For example, mm. Trump is a hypocrite. The way he speaks, what he speaks about and the way he acts mm. are different in the way that yeah. Jesus called the Pharisees hypocrites, I think, yeah. to call him a hypocrite, to call him a demagogue. He is someone who bases his power not on rational argument but on manipulating the prejudices of people. He is authoritarian. He has shown that multiple times. I think these are labels that mean something. I think if you're throwing away your own like idiot or even bigot, mm. they're open to interpretation. Mm. Um, people may be able to guess what my personal views on those are, but mm. I actually, in this setting, I wouldn't mm. use those labels. And I don't think they're help, helpful to public discourse. But using yeah. labels that are, you know, he is sexist. He is homophobic. He is transphobic. And... You know, I know I'm coming at it again from quite a a hard line on this, but I think that for me, if we get too wrapped up in being nice, being like that sounds a bit too weird, but too wrapped up in not hurting him in any way, we can risk actually hurting the victims of his oppression more. And for me, right now, it's an emergency situation. <laughs> and so while I would agree that, for example, calling Trump an idiot or a fool or... Oh, I could go on for ages. Calling him one of the words I'd love to call him is not actually helpful. I think perhaps our focus right now, in my opinion, should be more on actually, no, we need to get him out. And if some people cross the line, maybe we can deal with that later. Oh, I love that you say that as if we could <laughs> get him out. Well, if you're American and you're listening, <laughs> vote. <Please> vote. <laughs> my one reaction to that, though, is, like you said, that we shouldn't be too careful and... And we shouldn't be trying too hard to be nice to Trump. Or, I just don't see a lot of that going around. I don't see a lot of people trying really hard to be nice to Trump. <laughs> but I do see a lot of name-calling. Even among Christians, I don't see a lot of love for Trump. And I know that's that feels like a really hard thing when you just so completely disagree with everything about this person. But wh where is the love? Jesus' command was to love your enemies. And I guess this is sort of where it gets real if you're so completely opposed to him and everything that he stands for, then how do, how do you still speak in love? And I think that's the sort of challenge that I see in all of this. I think love for Trump should look for we should not wish him harm. Mm. We should not wish him personal ill, but we should want his privilege removed, i.e. Mm. the privilege of being in power, the privilege of not having crimes investigated properly. Yeah. And I think possibly the love for him comes in almost not doing the human thing, which is to want revenge. For me, personally, I think it is perfectly okay to say I want Trump out of office. It's also perfectly okay for me to say I want Trump in prison. I believe he's committed crimes. I think he should have a fair trial, but I believe that they would find enough evidence. Now, if a trial did not find enough evidence... That is fair enough. I don't think he should be pardoned for crimes that mm. he's committed just because he was president. In fact, for me, that's less reason. When we look for revenge of people who are wanting him to hurt, him to lose things just because they want him to hurt and feel the hurt he's caused, that mm. is the lack of love. I don't see a lack of love personally in focusing right now on the, well, actually, we need justice to be done. And for justice mm. to be done, it restorative justice is the most important and the best way we can do that is to get a president into the White House who, I say we as if we could do it again, <laughs> but if there's a president in the White House who can bring about social change can bring about racial justice, can bring about 
true peace in America and equality, that will be a start of that. But part of that will also be Trump facing some kind of consequences for his actions. I think something that concerns me, because I do agree with a lot of what you're saying, I agree that we have to be willing to to speak loudly about about the ways in which he's hurting people and spreading injustice, etc. Um, I think something that concerns me is that his supporters are now so almost united with him, I suppose, that if you're still a Trump supporter at this stage in America, so much of your identity is now involved in being a Trump supporter. And it's become so divisive in the nation, in families, in friendships and communities. And rightly so, because part of identifying yourself as a Trump supporter is basically saying you're okay with what's being done to the immigrant community, what's being done to the LGBTQ community, what's being done to the African-American community, and it's, it's understandable that that leads to, to real division and hurt. But I also think that the best chance of, of healing those divisions comes through through radical love. And sometimes when we use very accusatory language towards Trump, who I agree often deserves those accusations, but those that language is, is reflected onto his supporters as well. I'm not actually necessarily saying that they don't deserve it, I'm just saying I don't think it's necessarily helpful in terms okay. of healing. I suppose an argument very rarely changes anyone's mind. I think yeah. showing understanding and, and and maybe questioning and, and trying to open communication without kind of just blatantly attacking someone's views is is more likely to help people to genuinely reflect rather than to just feel defensive. Yeah, absolutely. And um, yeah, it, it's not that I don't think those accusations are, are. I don't necessarily think they're incorrect. I just I agree with you. I think it it doesn't lead to a place of conversation and healing and moving forward. It just leads to kind of further division and hurt, and it doesn't help anything. And I I understand why people are angry and why people are saying these things. I'm not blaming anyone individually for approaching it that way because it's understandable to be angry and it's justifiable to be angry. But I, I think perhaps a Christian perspective is about being radically loving and trying to, to bring peace and understanding and cohesion into all of this, this pain that is in American society at the moment. And I think as well that comes back to what I was saying earlier about, I, I suppose, the worry that we almost end up scapegoating Trump a little bit for for sins and wrongs and injustices that go much broader than him and are much older than him. And I suppose it's a little bit like that bit about was it focusing on the plank in your own eye before the speck in your brother's. I mean, I think we can all argue that the plank is probably in Trump's eye, not the speck, but maybe our primary focus should be on the speck in in ours and, you know, particularly for American churches to be focusing on how they're contributing to a society that is innately unjust and making sure it doesn't stop with Trump, that that doesn't become so much the focus that we can't move beyond that to, to wider problems and wider hurts. I'm going to disagree a little bit. Right. Shocker there. <laughs> if we are sort of thinking, about, I can't say this because uh, that will stoke up and won't help these people who are supporting him to change their minds. That's true, but what about those victims who are feeling unheard? And I don't think that's the intention, but I think it can easily become that. And And I think that sometimes saying the thing that is right in terms of morally right is important in the face of upsetting people or opposition. I think you're slightly misunderstanding what I'm saying. I agree with you that our primary concern needs to be for how victims of inequality, racism, etc. 
homophobia, whatever it might be, are being made to feel and that they feel heard and acknowledged and recognised and that their hurt is being recognised and that we're fighting for justice for them. I totally agree with you on that. But I think we can do that by condemning the actions of evil. I don't think we need to extend that to the person. And I think when we do extend it to the person, it can sometimes close down debate. And I agree that our primary focus is on recognising victims. But if we want to bring about lasting change, our secondary focus has to be on changing hearts and minds. And it's much easier to do that when we are approaching something from a position of love, not a position of anger. As justified as anger is. And I think as well I do worry about being careful that we're not kind of just using him as the representation of all evils in, in Western society or American society, whatever it might be, that we're actually being humble enough to look inside ourselves and seeing where do we have sort of racist assumptions and where do we approach things from a prejudiced perspective, etc., rather than only being focused on Trump, I suppose. So, okay, so I can see that some of the debate around our language and how we talk about people in power is something that there's a whole spectrum of views on even within Christianity. But hopefully, uh, something that we can all agree on is that the the Bible calls us to pray for our leaders. Um, But I imagine the ways that we might do that could look very different for different Christians. So so how do we pray for President Trump? That's a really hard question. I think in common with everybody, we should pray for him to find God and know God. Now, not saying some world leaders obviously do act in Christian ways. Mm. We should pray that he finds God, that he repents, mm. that he is able to stop hurting people. You know, I, I also pray that his attempts to enforce discrimination are thwarted mm. in terms of him as a person. As I said earlier, I don't think it's at all Christian to wish any harm on him. Mm. Even jokingly, I wouldn't wish harm on on him as a human being but I would I would pray that he finds Jesus Mm. because isn't that what that's the only way any of us can be saved Mm. and I believe the Bible tells me that he can be saved how easy that is to believe in daily life (laughs) when every day seems to bring out worse news that's hard but for me that that's where my prayers have to be and I don't see any contradiction between praying that he finds Jesus, praying that he actually opens the Bible instead of just holding one up, praying that he comes to understand the harm he's doing and is able to put some of it right. I don't think that's opposed to also praying that in November people will see him for what he is and has been and will vote him out. I think those two are are not contradictory points. I think we can we can hope and pray that God can do what seems impossible and turn Donald Trump into a model Christian. I mean, Paul was, was, you know, committing, trying to commit genocide against Christians and became the greatest of apostles to the Gentiles. Mm. You know, anyone can change, but I think we can also pray, well, as it stands right now, mm. I, I think it is important and I hope and pray that, that his time in office will be cut short. By an election, I should say. <laughs> yeah, no, I think I 100% agree with you, though. I definitely don't think those are contradictory. And I think there's a lot of things to pray into in terms of everything going on in the States right now that go beyond just praying for Donald Trump. I also think it is really important that we pray for him, that 
we pray for him acknowledging that right now he is the president and while we hope he won't become November we can pray for him receiving I suppose wisdom and guidance and a softer heart um, for these last few months of his presidency and that we see an improvement in the the policies and the justice coming from the White House and from his administration. I think we can also pray for him individually because I think he is probably someone actually who is who is very damaged and very hurt and that maybe that's where a lot of this comes from and that doesn't in any way excuse it or make it understandable but we can pray for him in love that he will he will find a, a healing and wholeness for whatever has been broken in him that that leads him to to act in the way that he does yeah every human being is made in the image of god so for someone to to do what he's doing they have to be severely broken and hurt and i i hope that and pray that god can fix that hurt because it will be good for a human being not to be hurting it'll mm-hmm. also be good for a human being not to hurt millions of other human beings <laughs> The one important thing I think often you talk about we should pray for him because God has placed him in his position, God chose him. I think that's a fallacy. I don't think God chose Donald Trump. The American people chose Donald Trump. Or rather, the Electoral College chose Donald Trump. Less people voted for him than Hillary Clinton. Yeah, I think that gets into a whole other question about God's <laughs> will, doesn't it? And uh, his moral yeah. will or his... Yeah. Or I don't know. Yeah. I, don't um, know. I, I do agree with you that we shouldn't suppose give him sort of any kind of divine authority i think that's a a dangerous road to go down i think prayer is definitely the key isn't it when we talk about jesus's command to love your enemies so or people who you disagree with i guess that can seem like a really trite sort of phrase but actually when you try to put that into action it, it can be really difficult when when there are so many strong emotions involved. And I think that prayer really is a key to that. I know that praying for people just requires you to have a different perspective and and God's perspective, which is always loving, not tolerant (laughs) um, of sin, but always loving um, and always wanting the best. And maybe there's something to pray for ourselves in that, that we we pray for the grace i suppose a big enough grace to to find it within ourselves to genuinely wish him well as a person even if we want him out of office and to genuinely Mm. pray for him not just as a politician and a leader but as a human being and yeah that's hard yeah definitely (laughs) i think that's probably a good place to wrap up our discussion for this week but georgia you had a, a good book recommendation that kind of for some further reading if anyone's interested I do. So it's a book called Faith and Resistance in the Age of Trump. It's by Miguel A. De La Torre. I really hope I've pronounced that right. And it's published by Orbis Books. As usual, get it from your local Christian bookshop if you at all can. A lot of them have reopened as of yesterday across the UK. Or contact us at Church's Bookshop. Yeah, and we hope this has been helpful. Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think when we started this podcast it was to discuss difficult topics and... Mm. Frankly, dealing with Donald Trump is a difficult topic. So this has been a little different to our usual episode in how we've <laughs> how we've discussed it. But I hope that it has been thought provoking, mm. and maybe you have your own thoughts about what we've said. Agree, disagree, whatever. We let would, us know. Yeah, do let us know. We'd love to hear from you. Find our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash the Anvil. Go there if you uh, like the page. We post every episode there, and you can uh, comment with your 
thoughts and we would really love to to hear that you can also find us at churchesbookshop.im scroll down to click the link for the anvil podcast and we're there and you can see all the all the episodes there and we are on itunes google podcast acast and a whole lot of other stuff we'd love for you to to subscribe share let your friends know if you think they they might enjoy this podcast for now though that's linda that's georgia and that's andrew and we've been the anvil podcast from church's bookshop And we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.